सारा जहां सारे हसी सारे जवा कहती वाना नाच नाचे जमाना नाच हो कहती वाना नाच Well, yesterday we played the Buggles with video killed the radio star and Raj Chakraborty said the version he grew up with was this one right here. <laughs> oh, we love uh, we love it in South Asia to get inspired by songs from across the globe. And it got us thinking, what is a cover of a song that you think went far beyond the original? Way, way better. So that was uh, Raj's version. I'm sure Lana, uh, no, who knows her music, will have one, maybe uh, it as well. But here's another one that uh, you've got to listen to. It's easy listening, pastel-wearing singer Pat Boone doing Deep Purple. That's Pat Boone there getting just a little bit wow. bad with smoke on the water. Lana Searle, there's nothing better than a cover version done well and just a little bit differently. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to throw in an Elvis cover. Yeah. Can't help falling in love, but it's by Hayley Reinhardt. I'm pretty sure if you've been married any time in the last 10 years, you've used that song. I'm not saying she's better than Elvis as a musician, but I think she does that song. She covers it better. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. I've got to buy Hayley... Reinhardt. Reinhardt? Yeah. R-E-I-N-H-A-R-T, I think. Yeah. Ed, oh, here's a few others here. Suspicious Minds by Angelina Jordan. Best cover, Billy Jean by Chris Cornell. Uh, Wilson Phillips oh. Daniel, originally Elton John, of course. Brilliant harmonies. And Wonderwall by Mike Flowers Pop. Well, for me, I mean, uh, I'm not in tune with Western music that much, but I always love anything that is covered in in a classical way, any pop song or a rock song, when it transfers into violin or an orchestra. I love it, and well, you it has happened. Loved the Bridgerton, the Bridgerton oh, yeah. series. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They've done a they've done a um, great great job. But um, one thing, one I remember is uh, the Michael Jackson song, um, uh, and it was. Covered by Limp Biscuit, and that was the worst. It was not good. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, um, uh, what a response regarding uh, our panel poll this afternoon. Do you support these uh, protesters who uh, blocked traffic this morning and yesterday? And there'll be, there'll be more to come. Uh, I admire and support the brave protesters. Signed, sixty-seven-year-old male from Waikanae. Another one here. Yes, absolutely. They are heroes. Another one, no, people can die in the queues caused by the protests or missed medical appointments. Hang a banner, stay off the highway. Lots of response. Uh, we'll tell you the results at um, 5 to 5 uh, this afternoon. Now, holidaymakers, we talked about the uh, immigration settings, didn't we, a little bit with uh, Cameron Bagri, but holidaymakers in Rotorua are being warned eggs benedict and summer cocktails could become a scarcity this 
holiday season. More than 30 Rotorua hospitality businesses shut up shop on Monday in protest of not being able to get the workers they need due to immigration restraints. Some of the workers, some of the eatery owners said the situation in Rotorua is actually catastrophic, quote-unquote. So we thought, well, let's get Reg Hennessy. He's the Hospitality NZ Bay of Plenty spokesperson. Kia ora, Reg. G'day, how are you? It must be pretty bad, I guess uh, it's fair to say, for 30 businesses to shut up shop and protest for a day. Yes, it's definitely a sign of desperation for a lot of these guys because uh, our businesses, hospitality, and us shutting our doors is something we definitely don't like to do, ever. And in all my years, which is nearly 40 years in this business, it's the first time I've ever shut my doors uh, in any form of protest. But it's at a stage where us guys as operators and owners and business people, along with our staff and our families, are all just getting to the stage. We're starting to get a bit toasted. We're getting burned out, you know. And um, the government hasn't listened to us, and we're just at the stage. Well, it was a a bit of a, a call of desperation, I guess. Hmm. Pain is a picture, Reg, and many of us uh, may, listening may not be familiar with how a cafe works or a restaurant or a bar. We, we might not be able to see beyond the headlines. Uh, Pain is a practical picture. What, what, what happens to make you not be able to open? Well, take my place, for example, hmm. Hennessy's Irish Bar, right in the middle. Normally at this time of the year we'd have 20 staff working. We're down to eight. Normally oh. we have four shifts going, we're down to two. So we're already closing every Monday, uh, and we're always um, 52 weeks a year, seven days a week other than Christmas Day. Uh, we work in the later hours because of tourism, because of uh, backpackers coming in. And, you know, uh, from the moment we open our doors at 11 a.m. in the morning right through to close, our kitchen is open, A, by law, but also because we believe it's our responsibility to look after visitors and tourists and people that want to come into town and not like the old days where the place was open from 12 to 2 for lunch and 6 to 8 for dinner. We're open, we're open right round the clock. So there's a, there's a stage where you're going to hold the line for so long and then you start to bend and Holy we're at heck. that stage. Holy heck. That, that, well, so you have usually 20 staff. You're now down to eight. You usually have mm. four chefs down to two. That's right. You, you must have some pretty <sighs> hard morning conversations. Well, I'm very fortunate. I've got two wonderful chefs. My head chef's been with me 12 years and my other guy's been with me three. They're working hard to get us through. Um, as I say, we shut Sundays, uh, Mondays totally. That helps Goodness. make it work. And at times we've got one boy on um, and we should really have two boys on. And that's the reality of it. They're willing to, to go that extra mile because they love the pub and they love what they do. So they're helping us get through. But it's not just chefs, it's bar staff, it's waitresses, it's restaurant managers, it's cleaners, it's um, you name it, kitchen hands, we need it. And they reckon the number in Rotary, for every 100 chefs we should have, we've got 60. So that gives you an idea. Hmm. So um, that's. So what are the exact um, demands, would you think, um, uh, from well, from the government well, because at the moment it's immigration is like a political hot potato again as always one and side they are something changing the settings too rich yeah and uh, but what is specifically needed uh, it, it helps tourism uh, and the businesses in Rotorua well it's almost too late now we needed the setting changing three months ago because there's a couple of issues just because they change the settings and they say there you go guys you can go now. We've still got to go through all the systems and all the uh, immigration stuff ourselves 
to be able to, to get people to come and work from if we are getting them from overseas. And there's huge costs attached to this. Like we've got to advertise, whether it be trade me or different things, for two weeks to advertise the position, which is obviously no one in New Zealand putting their hands up the full. And um, so roughly costs us $1,700 a person just to be able to employ these people. But then when we get them, even when they get here and we've got to find um, accommodation for them and everything else, um, it takes them. It's, the systems are taking a month now just for them to be able to get a, a tax number so they can start work or get a bank account open. There's just so many, so many. So you're asking for thing. the easing of requirements? Just well, as I say, it's almost too late for the summer. We need it. We needed the easing three months ago. We're now. Yeah, we weren't. Well, hey, we're only we're only nine weeks away from Christmas Day. That puts in perspective wow, the busiest yeah. day of the year in Rotorua. It's Boxing Day, so we're only nine nine weeks and one day away from that. You know, and you've so. got eight staff. Gosh, uh, Lana. Re- yeah, Rich. Since, since the announcement of the of the shutting the doors, have you had? Has there been any correspondence since then, or is that has that been ignored? It's been ignored from 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 what I can get. I don't know of anyone that's had any um, correspondence from um, anybody in in the government. We've had a lot of local correspondence. We've had a real lot of support from hospitality all around New Zealand and other, of course, um, uh, government people from other parties, which you'd always expect, and of our own associations, you know. But, you know, hospitality New Zealand, we've been around a long time and we've got a lot of members. And it's not just Rotorua, sadly. It's the Coromandels, Desperate, Queenstown's Desperate. You know, it's... Um, well, I was it, talking to a colleague, uh, I was talking to a colleague, one of the reasons I brought this up uh, on the panel today, one of the colleagues went to uh, Hawke's Bay um, for uh, a family holiday for a week, could hardly get fed. Yeah, and it's like... Could that. hardly I'll, I'll get you, fed. And I'll tell you something, I'll tell you something, and this is what I really want you to push. This rubbish that we're not paying our people well enough and we're not training them and all that sort of stuff, that's well and truly behind us. Are we so sure about ever, that? Because a few people are asking about that. No, we're paying, well, look, in Rotorua, we're paying on the average job set, $3 something, I think it is, above minimum um, living wage, you know, and that's for bar staff and kitchen hands and all that sort of thing. We're spending more time and effort than we've ever spent on training. We're doing training courses with them. Um, Hospitality New Zealand's got programs going all the time for training, as as I'm sure the Restaurant Association. We're all working very hard to make sure these people... Look, they're, they're our bread and butter. If we haven't got them, as it's showing now, we've got nothing. Hey, nice to be on the program, Reg. Kia ora. Um, you. Appreciate your time. There's Reg Hennessy there, the Hospitality NZ Bay of Plenty spokesperson. Yes, I was talking to a colleague say, couldn't get a meal in Hawke's Bay. Hawke's Bay. There's one meal available at 5pm. Maybe wow. maybe the answer is uh, bring your own. If you're going, if you're going away... <laughs> pack pack um, a dinner, pack a lunch. Pack a lunch. Pack, pack lunch. Pack, pack some lo- oranges. Pack lunch. <laughs> Take the crock pot deviled sausages. That's the one. That's it. Yeah. Um, now, uh, yes, I support Save Passenger Rail and all the other environmental uh, action groups. I have grandchildren who I hope will be able to enjoy this wonderful world and pass the taonga nice. to their kids, their grandkids, says Jim in Island Bay, Wellington. Fiona, we've got to act. We've got to act now. I admire and totally support the protesters. Another one. I do not support these protesters who are disrupting working people's lives. They are inconsiderate and they're irrational. Panel poll. Do you support them? Yes or no? 2101 results in 10 minutes. Lana Searle and Ed Amon with me uh, today. 
Well, back to those, that cost day, the cost of veggies at a 23-year high and stretching everyone. Stories abound of the $7 collie. Inflation was 13.8% in the September quarter for fruit and veggies compared with a year earlier. So we thought we'd have a chat to a fruit and veggie co-op. Now, there's no simple solution for everyone. A co-op might not suit uh, some people. There might not be uh, one fix-all solution to this. It may be really impractical, but for some, it could work. With us is Kaz Young from the Waifetu Co-op, part of the Wellington Regional Fruit and Veggie Co-op, which is New Zealand's largest. Kaz, kia ora. Kia ora, Wolf. Thank you for having me. Disclaimer. I was part of a fruit and veggie co-op uh, when, in my 20s and the 90s in Dunners, um, uh, a big cardboard box of veggies <laughs> to our door. You know, you got what came in the box, but it fed us for the year. Um, but that was a long time ago. Tell us, remind us, how does it actually work? So we are a community-led, not-for-profit sort of buyers collective, um, and we're powered predominantly by volunteers. Um, and the whole idea of that is to deliver access to fruit and veg, um, fresh fruit and veg, at a really good cost um, across the whole Greater Wellington region. Um, and I particularly look after the area of Waifatsu and Te Awakarangi and Lower Hutt. And a huge part of that of how we operate is we kind of have like a tri-partnership um, between Wesley Community Action, Te Fata Ora, so known as the previous DHBs, and a host organisation. So in our case, it's um, we base ourselves at St Paul's Anglican Church. And so from there, we kind of have this partnership that allows us to buy, mass buy fruit and veggie in essence. Um, through, oh. Yeah, and so from that, we're able to get those fruit and veggies and we break it up into different packs. And so from that kind of system, we have like a prepayment system in which people pay ahead of time. So we know and we've got a budget um, and it allows us to kind of make sure we've got a good value in terms of what we get but also allows us to keep in mind of food waste as well because it can be quite tricky when you get a lot of stuff but actually if you don't have anywhere to put it um, it can be really challenging but yeah we kind of just make sure that we do that as a bulk Um, and like any cooperative the whole idea of you pitch together your resources to make the most out of it and yeah get as much as you can from that. Well I can recall 25 years ago it worked for us it worked for our flat in fact it was quite good because you know you did your shop at the supermarket for your other stuff your bathroom stuff and then you got this box of veggies but uh, here 2022 how much per week? Yeah so our packs cost $15 per week and then there are some costs that $12 a week. That's good value. Yeah, that's so it's pretty good. And you that's... get about, so depending on which co-op it is, you can get, you know, five to seven, sometimes eight items. Um, and it's pretty awesome in the sense that it's really fresh, um, good quality. It's stuff that you would get in supermarkets, but it hasn't been multi-handled. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just been handled by us as volunteers. And Lana, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm thinking about getting back into one. <laughs> Oh, I can oh, see wonderful. why. Like, this is just, this is brilliant. Can I just go back, uh, Kaz, to where you're, you're talking how you, you bulk buy? Just help me understand, where would, you, where would you bulk buy from? Yeah, so we have about 10 different packing hubs for our co-ops. And over the, so over a whole week, there's hundreds of different packs. So just alone in Wife of Two, for instance, we pack 200 packs a week. And then there's other cooperatives that will pack about 100 or a bit more than that as well, so a little bit under that. Um, so as a whole group of different cooperatives that are kind of operating, um, we yeah, buy quite a few packs across the whole Greater Wellington region, and then from there we get a really good deal, um, and that's brokered through um, with the Community Action, um, and we do that with 
um, market growers, the MG, and they also supply supermarkets. And so from there, each different co-op gets um, access to a list of things um, and we're able to decide kind of what works for our group of people because naturally different communities have different preferences. And so, yeah, each co-op operates quite differently, but uh, um, with that same base and with a wonderful base of volunteers as well. This is great, Kaz. This is really wow. actually quite inspiring, I've got so, to say. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. And, and, and the process that you explained, so it, it seems that essentially the middle person is removed. And uh, so that brings us uh, good food and good savings. So I, I just wanted to um, ask you this question that with is, – is there um, any competition or any pushback or – any any kind of actions that are taken by uh, the big supermarket uh, duopolies in, in in reaction to that, or they are just too big and you are too small to have any effect? Yeah, okay. I guess the reality in today's day and age is there are so many different ways that people can access food. And so the idea is we're providing another option. Um, and for some people, it works really, really well because, you know, in terms of it's really good quality, it's fresh. Um, if you know what and it's a prescribed, random, it's it's a prescribed things that you get or it's a, it, it, it depends on you what the people get or it depends. There's no requesting stuff. So different co-ops operate differently. So in mm. Waifatu, we have like a preset pack in essence. So we mm. will let people know what's in that preset pack on Friday. So our orders close off and so I do the orders on Thursday. By Friday, I can tell people what's going to be expected in the pack because we've played around with the budget and we've worked out um, a draft order. Mm. And so normally within Waifatu, for instance, we'll have a set pack which normally has about six to eight different goods in it. And then we also add what we call our shops. So we have an additional few things that... Um, we know that aren't in the pack but could work really well for other families as well. And that's on the basis of, in our community, we know that we, um, a lot of our clients are families, whereas in other parts, for instance, so Batoni, really close to supermarkets, but also probably um, cater more for the one to two people household. Right. Um, and so we get to do that and then we communicate that out in ahead of time because in Te Awakarangi and Lower Hutt as well, we also have the Riverbank Market um, and we also have quite a number of supermarkets. So it's, again, just product, providing another option um, that hits that whole mark around having good quality, fresh fruit and veg. This is really inspiring, Kaz. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the program, and I'm sure that it'll inspire other people to um, get their heads around a fruit and veggie co-op in other parts of the country as well. But for now, Kaz Young, sure. uh, kia ora. Cass uh, is part of the uh, Waifatu Co-op, part of the Wellington Region Fruit and Veggie Co-op. They're the New Zealand's largest. Wonderful stuff. Eight to five. Before we go to the next story, the poll is out. We've had dozens of pages of text, and here we have the results. Uh, I asked you before, because uh, we had uh, Rosemary Penwarden from Restore Passenger Rail. They've been in the news constantly over the past a few days with their uh, some would say very disruptive methods and I asked you whether you support them this afternoon you support them in a huge way 85.4% wow. supported their protest action Pretty I good. am astonished in fact I'm shocked at the result I, I would have picked it to be about 50-50 but 84.5% support the, the the protest halting traffic. So there you go. Interesting stuff. Finally, on the panel, 
Here we are back to cats. The Australian Capital Territory is getting tough on cats. I know Ed, you love cats, but listen to this. They've passed a law that says any cat born after July 2022 will have to be contained on the property. Advocates are saying we are behind on cat legislation, and that means there's a business for cat containment. Any changes will need to be explained well, because like Shakespeare, cats are a political issue. They are in 41% of households in New Zealand. With us is Neil Sanderson. He has developed a cat fence system called Cat Fence. Neil, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. How did you get into this, Neil? Well, I, I didn't invent it. In fact, it came from Australia, as you might imagine, from what you said in your introduction. It was developed in Australia about 15 years ago, and uh, we got into it, my wife and I, because uh, we used to be breeders of low-allergen cats, so for people who needed a cat with a low-allergen level. And what we found was that too many of the kittens that left us were ending up being killed in the road. And so we decided we needed to find a way to try and keep them safe and also protect the wildlife as well. And we found this product in Australia. Well, so this is, that is my only concern, the concern that you gave me. And that's the reason why the, my kittens are in my house, because I don't want them to die, because I've seen several of them on the road. Right. Dead, and also I don't want our nice birds in the garden to be eaten or uh, or um, taken back inside the house. So uh, this this product of yours, how does it work, and where can I find more information about it? <laughs> it's, it's, re- it's really really simple. Um, it, it's a system that gets installed on top of your fence, so you do need to have a fence. That's the starting point, and the system consists of aluminium rollers that get installed on top of the fence, and as the cat climbs the fence, it gets up to the top and it reaches its paw to get over the fence, and the roller simply spins, and the cat cannot get any traction. Disappointment. And, uh, oh, nice. It, that, that's right. Well, yeah. it, it's kind of funny the first few times you see yeah. it. <laughs> Amazing. What, 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 a, what a piece of cat. Lana. Yes, I've got, I've got two cats, and this is a timely um, conversation, <laughs> because just mm. this morning... <laughs> My son went off to school and we've got a wee kitten and he accidentally let him out onto the front of the section, which he's he's never been there before. And it's open to the road. And um, when he came home from school, the kitten was sitting at the front door waiting to be let in. So that's a good example of a cat somehow being obedient. Whereas this fence idea, at first I sniggered, but the more I'm hearing about it, and the less I want Gareth Morgan to wipe my cats out, the more I'm thinking, actually, this might be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, it really is effective. And already in Australia, about a third of the people who have cats are keeping them indoors anyway. Right. So they're, they're well up on us. In, in New Zealand, the number is somewhere around 8% of cats are kept indoors. So yeah, do you think we're behind? Are we behind the eight ball on this issue, Neil? Because there is a bit of a pushback when we talk about this issue. People say, uh, look, I want free roaming cats. Yeah, there certainly is a reluctance to engage with it. And I mean, the the Predator Free um, 2050 doesn't include cats. Um, We think it should, um, but I think it's it's a slow building of awareness. We've been um, marketing this product for six years now in New Zealand, and we didn't expect it to take off right away. (laughs) So it started out slowly, but we are now very busy, and that's great. And it's, you know, people who are very concerned about their cats, they want their cats to have a long and happy life and at the same time do something good for for the wildlife. 
Yeah, so it it is also, I mean, besides this, there are other ways to, have, you know, provide them air. You know, there's there's ways to take them out walking with the, with the harness. And this intriguing thing, what is a catio? So a catio is a, an enclosure that you would build um, in your backyard, normally attached to your house, mm-hmm. and it would be screened. And um, some of them are very luxurious. Friends of ours have ones uh, where they can invite us over for lunch, and lunch is served in the catio. It's that large. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so bigger than a cage. But the problem is nowadays, a lot of people are living with very, very small sections. Mm-hmm. And if you devote the entire section into a catio, then you can't use it for anything else. So with a system such as ours, uh, you have the entire use of the yard and it simply keeps the cat from going over the fences. Good on you, Neil. Nice to have you on the program. Cheer. Uh, that's Neil Sanderson who developed the cat fence system and thank you for all your responses, gosh. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful Wednesday afternoon. Lana, great to have you on again. Yeah, thanks, Wallace. Nice to meet you too, Ed. And Ed? Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. You've been, I enjoyed it. Yeah, very good. Ed, I'm on there, Lana Searle, going out with a little pet boon. And we talk about feedback tomorrow. I've been thinking, Ed, he hates feedback. We talk about that uh, on uh, Thursday's show. Checkpoint next with Rowan Quinn. C345 tomorrow.